What's going on? Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. I'm so happy to be here with you guys chatting and living and loving and learning. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I always like, you know, I always like to start it out with good vibes. Even if you're not having a wonderful week, you've gotten through every terrible week that you've ever had. And this one will too come to an end and then we'll have another one. So it's going to be okay. But I hope that this new episode is going to elevate your spirits. It's going to be a fun one. I had on the CEO of Wander and Ivy, which is a wine company, female run, and her name is Dana Spaulding. And something that I found so interesting and exciting about having Dana on is that Dana is a mom. She's also the CEO of a company that's, you know, growing really, really fast and has been really successful. And I think like I have these conversations with myself every day where I know I want to have a family and I, I want to have kids, but I feel really selfish and guilty that my career is sort of like the most important thing thing to me and I'm not saying that my career would be more important than my future children that's awful to say but I just don't want to compromise I just don't want to have to choose one I think is what I'm trying to say and I felt throughout my life really like anxious about the idea of having to choose one or like the the mom shaming that comes with like moms who work full time and who are really passionate about their careers and like how awful that is because truthfully and Dana and I talk about this like I don't think moms should be shamed in any way for choosing what's best for themselves and their kids as long as they're you know giving their kids love and attention and treating them well obviously you know like stay-at-home moms are amazing and moms who work are amazing and moms who have no choice but to work you know are amazing and I think I've just had a lot of um anxiety almost I think especially with the onset of TikTok like watching people who are moms and seeing all this mom shaming stuff happening and wondering about how it would ever be possible for me to have both but not only have both but prioritize both and so I really liked having Dana's perspective and having her on the podcast because she's found a way to prioritize being a mom which is something that she really wanted in her life and also being a businesswoman and owning her own business and I think that's really special so I was really lucky to have her on because I think just so I always you know I learn from other people obviously the most and surrounding myself by people who are doing things that I hope to do one day or that I like aspire toward is always really helpful you know like watching somebody who's a CEO and a mom and who's found a way to prioritize her family and also herself and her career is inspiring to me because that's something that I hope to do with my future. So I'm hoping that you guys really like the episode. Also, we talk wine, which is really awesome. I love a chance to like geek out and, and talk wine with somebody who knows it really well. And her company is really cool and she talks a lot about it. So I don't want to give anything away because obviously we'll do a little update thing before. But I think this episode was super special to me. This interview is super special to me because it made me feel like, okay, you're doing something that I could see myself doing one day. I'm really lucky that I got to talk to somebody that is, you know, doing it all. And like, what the fuck? Women are really just superior in every way. Like I constantly, I'm just blown away. I love, I loved our conversation and I think you guys are going to love it too. So that's what's on the docket today. But of course, first some updates. Okay, so first, like, I really hope this podcast finds you guys well because everybody that I know is falling apart in some way. I think it's, like, the seasonal shift, the allergies, the anticipation of summer, but, like, every single person I know has fallen apart in some way. And I'm thinking that, like, once you hit rock bottom, you can only go up kind of vibes because, like, you know, I definitely had I definitely had a moment there for a month where, like, things weren't good. Um, 
And I, I'm just like hoping this podcast finds you well because I literally, everybody that I personally know is like something is unwell about them. So like sending you guys all good vibes. Like I think it's a funky, a funky, weird time of year. But I went to my MRI yesterday because my OBGYN wanted to check for endometriosis in addition to the PCOS thing. And she was great. Obviously a little shocked about the burst appendix of it all because I had seen her when I was dealing with the appendicitis without knowing it. Um, and yeah, we were going to put a plan in place to deal with what's going on. I mean, she thinks that she sees some mild endometriosis happening. So we are first going to deal with my appendix and then we're going to deal with that. And it's sort of a one step at a time kind of thing with all of this stuff. It's very new and uncharted and I'm going to have to have surgery and probably switch my birth control, but like it all remains to be seen. I think that something that I've just really been grateful for is like taking it slow and prioritizing my health and having the ability to do so I feel really lucky because I know that not everybody can say the same but obviously it's very overwhelming and there's like so many different things that need to be taken care of that I guess the only thing I can really do is take it one day at a time so you know I'm falling back together I'm being positive and productive about this like I had my fall apart moment and I'm done with it I'm like obviously not fully done with it, but you know, it's just like one doctor's appointment after the next and like kind of annoying, but I'm trying to just like give myself grace and be okay with rest. I haven't like exercised really at all. I did like a five, three 30 on the treadmill. I've been walking a lot, but I'm going to try to go to my first Pilates class back. I'm like cleared to do that. I'm just like nervous about it for whatever reason. I also think it's because I know that I've lost a lot of my fitness, which honestly doesn't bother me for once. Um, Like I'm okay with the fact that I feel weaker because I know that my body needed that and needs that to heal. So I'm like a little nervous with like how difficult it's going to be. But I chose a 30 minute class opposed to like the typical 50 minute classes because I'm like, it's just like easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. And if I have to leave, I can leave. It's just like weird because I'm so used to like oh, I have to go to my workout. But it's like, no, I really get to go to my workout. And I'm so grateful that I get to go to my workout. And I'm just like nervous about it. But I know it's gonna be awesome. Um, And so that's kind of like my health update. You know, like we're we're making it work. I started a new TV show. Um, It's Prison Break. Now, I don't know if Prison Break is for everyone because like the suspense is it's fucking suspenseful. But I will say it's one of the best written shows ever. And the lead guy is so fucking hot. It's like literally unbelievable prison break it gives me how to get away with murder like if you like how to get away with murder if you like scandal you'll love prison break like basically the premise of it is this guy his brother is like wrongfully accused of murder and he has the death penalty and the guy wants to get inside of the prison that his brother's in so that he can help break him out and so he like does something and then like has his whole plan and it's like about like literally a prison break, but it's like such a good show. Like I, it literally started in like 2003, 2004. And I honestly remember my parents watching it when I was growing up, but like it was just like randomly came into my brain to start watching with my boyfriend. And now we are absolutely obsessed, but I will say it gives me a lot of anxiety um, before bed. And so it's like has to be, you know, capped off with either Dave or um, Curb Your Enthusiasm or else like I can't. I can't go to sleep. It, it, it is, it's their suspense. But if you like a suspense sort of like, I wouldn't call it thriller. It's definitely like, there's definitely a lot of violence. Like there's definitely like a lot of beating up and like shooting and whatnot. If you don't like that, I wouldn't go for it. But like, it does give me the same vibe as how to get away with murder on the book media front. I'm reading sex and rage by Eve Babbitts. I can't believe I've never read Eve Babbitts because it's so my vibe. I 
when I was in high school was really attracted to Hemingway prose, sort of that short snippy, but very like imagery focused and centered prose style. The way that Hemingway writes like moves me to like such a degree, but he pisses me off because I just like know he wasn't like the best guy ever. And like, I know he was like buddies with F Scott Fitzgerald who I actually loathe. And I know he was like being creepy to F Scott Fitzgerald's wife. And I know F Scott Fitzgerald was cheating on his wife and stealing her work and it just like all pisses me off you guys should read z the zelda fitzgerald novel it's really fucking good um but back to eve babbitts she kind of writes like hemingway like but with a feminine touch that is so attractive to me i don't think that this is like a book for everybody like if you aren't the kind of person that like likes hemingway i don't think that you'll be an eve babbitts fan but maybe you would i am I'm like obsessed and it, it's like about okay it's also kind of like Joan Didion ask it's like about nothing also which is like always my fave like it's just like about themes do you know what I mean like it's like short and snippy and to the point and about this girl that you don't know much about who's like just like navigating her life in between LA and New York but there's like no real plot so it's very Didion it's really 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 good like if you guys if you guys like that style of writing I would read it if you if you are like an Emily Henry like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow like fiction driven you know you really need that to like get focused and get lasered in I wouldn't it's really odd for me to be like a Babbitts girly I think and like a Hemingway girly and even a Didion girly because of my attention span but I think something about the short chapters really helps I've just been loving it. Also, like, I'm so, like, tuned into book covers now just because, you know, that's life. And um, I love I love the book cover of Sex and Rage, uh, specifically the edition that I bought. I'm not sure if, that like, it's the original cover. But I've been loving it. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, it's really good. And that's kind of, like, my media update, what I've been watching. Um, oh, I guess, like, kind of a media update is my digital camera era. So I have the Canon ELF Pro Shot. ELPH ELF Jesus I I don't even know what this camera is called let's look it's it's a digital camera I fell victim to the trend like I'm a very easily influenced person like I saw people posting about it I was like I need that camera I'll have that camera that camera I want that camera but then I was talking to my friend who's kind of like into film and, and video and photography and he was like don't get that one get this one it's less expensive but gives us kind of the same vibe so it's the Canon PowerShot EL ph 360 hs and then i have like a tezza preset that if you guys need it let me know and i can tell you what it is that i've been putting on the photos but i've been having so much fun in my digital camera era like it kind of just gives me like a new medium to play with and like my favorite part is like taking pictures of other people and then them loving that picture like i can understand my photographers like taking pictures of other people because it's so fulfilling when somebody else sees themselves through your lens and it's like oh my god it looks so good it's like exciting it's like yeah you do fucking look good like i'm so glad you think so so that's been really fun i've been doing that um my brother is home. The one that the one that got away. He, um, Jack, my brother. Uh, he, after graduating Michigan, um, got a job in Seattle, and he made it his goal to try to transfer to an office um, on the East Coast. By the time um, the year was out, he had a year lease. He didn't know anyone in Seattle. Um, he had like a couple friends end up going out there, but it was very lonely. But I think really formative and. I'm really proud of him that he was able to get transferred back to the East Coast, which is what he wanted and to move in with his girlfriend and like to start this new chapter of life while she starts law school. It's really, really exciting for them. And I think that's something that I've been really thinking about through this is my time that I spent in St. Louis, um, which kind of felt similar, but it wasn't as long term um, where I like went and interned for three months in St. Louis and I didn't know anybody there. I had no friends. And I kind of like maintained that status. I like made some acquaintances at work, but because we were all in different 
um, like divisions of the internship. Like we all had different timelines. We didn't get to see each other that much. And like, obviously I was friendly with like my bosses and whatnot, but it was really solitary. But while I was there, I think I loathed it and I was really lonely and felt really like, I don't know. I had a lot of growing pains and maybe this is like a different podcast episode entirely, but then, but looking back and reflecting, this was like the biggest time of growth I've ever had. And that discomfort challenged me in a way that I've never been challenged before. And I think my brother's really going to look back on his time in Seattle and feel the same way. Like these like 14 or so months, however much time he was out there, it was lonely and difficult. And he was in a long distance relationship and, you know, the farthest you could be away from your loved ones, um, with minimal friends and, and social interaction. But you really learn so much about yourself. So if anybody's in one of those situations, um, no matter how long or short term it's going to be, just know that you're, the feelings that you're having of loneliness and despair and sadness maybe or just like disconnect is temporary and you're going to reflect on this time in your life and realize how much it pushed you to grow and you're going to be really, really excited when you do realize that down the line. Um, and so that was just something I've been thinking about. And maybe that's a whole different podcast episode that you guys might want. Um, but yeah let's see what else we've been up to okay um planning the book launch party it's so it's so I'm sick it's just like so close um it makes my stomach like turn over um just out of excitement I think I just feel like there's like who I was it's like it's like before Christ after Christ it's like who I was before my book launches pre-order and who I'm gonna be after and like holding it in my hands when I get to which isn't time yet but like it's coming all of that is just like I'm so excited I really have this like surreal feeling running through me that just like it's a pinch me moment um and I'm planning a book launch party which is gonna be really exciting for when pre-order goes live and I'm very 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 much so looking forward to launching a giveaway to invite some of you guys to the party as well and stay tuned for that it'll be up on TikTok and Instagram So I'm very, very excited. It'll be New York City, obviously. And I can't tell you the date yet, but trust, trust. And yeah, that's like really the biggest thing that's going on right now. I am helping my boyfriend move into a larger unit in his apartment building this weekend. There's just a unit that has like a, it's like a one and a half bed where the second bedroom is too small to be considered legally a bedroom, but it is a bedroom. And so that will be like an office for me. So we're going to do that. I'm not moving in there yet. Um, My lease isn't up, but that was just like the time when they allowed him to, to shift into that space, which is just a bit bigger. And that's really exciting. Um, And then the one other thing I have to say is for your touch grass of the week, we need to discuss Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy. And honestly, I have some high level thoughts about this. Like one subset of my thoughts is like basically what Veronica was saying on the Ronnie recap. And if you missed it, it's that basically like, I think who we associate ourselves with is really everything. And when people associate themselves with somebody who's known to be problematic or have said problematic, racist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic things or done those things in the past, it can be really troublesome because you're like, well, you're associating with that person, whether it's for PR or not, if it's for PR, it would be even worse, but it's just questionable. But that being said, I think people act really shocked despite the fact that we have no we don't really know much about Taylor Swift. We just have projection onto her and like sort of um, parasocial relationship with her where we think that we know her, but she actually doesn't give us a ton outside of her music and her business and her brand, which is totally her objective and that's totally fine. And so I think that's like one side of the coin, which is really interesting. Um, The other side of it is like, 
I feel like, and Veronica also said this on the Ronnie recap, that people like infantilize her so much to the point where it's like acting almost like she isn't making these choices herself or that she can't be an adult and have decisions. I just, you know, part of me is like, I can't imagine being under the level of scrutiny that she's under, though I don't support her decision to date somebody that behaves the way he has behaved and acts the way that he acts and, and is the way that he is. I just also can't imagine like people acting like I'm not an adult who can't make my own choices. It's just like really interesting to me, but also I can't get it off my damn for you page. I am swiping so fucking fast. I don't care about Maddie Healy. I don't want to see anything of it just because like I go on TikTok to like giggle with the gals. Like my for you page is very funny. I don't know if I've ever talked about this with you guys, but like my for you page is hilarious. At least I think it is. I literally have curated just funny. Like I typically don't get a sad video. And if I do, I'm like scroll I don't need anybody else telling me about the body language of Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy. Like, please, please get it off my FYP. Maybe it's not a full touch grass, but it's definitely interesting. Um, I'm so excited to go to the concert. Um, I have a pink dress. Haven't tried it on. It's actually sitting next to me wrapped in cellophane that I'm thinking about wearing. But I will say something that I don't want you guys to stop doing is showing your Taylor Swift outfits for the Eras Tour. It's been it's been truly like the highlight of my weekend, seeing everyone's gorgeous creative outfits that have sparked so much joy. So fucking thank you for that. Yeah, I think that's really all I have for you guys. I'm really excited about this interview and I kind of without further ado want to get into it. So I love you very much. I think next week will be a solo episode. So stay tuned for that. I hope you're feeling, I hope you're feeling gorgeous, stunning, beautiful, never before the same iconic and fabulous. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Um, kiss somebody you love. Let me know if you need anything and I will see you next time. Love you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a guest episode that I am so excited for. You guys know that I grew up surrounded by a lot of wine. My dad works in Italian wine and food. And so women in wine is really exciting to me. I run a nonprofit with my brother that's all about like representation in wine as well. So this just felt like such a great partnership. I have with me Dana Spaulding, the CEO of Wander and Ivy, which is a company that specializes in single serve wine made with organic grapes. It's so cool. So aesthetic. I literally loved all the research I did on it. And it's obviously a female run business. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to Miss Congeniality. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like really, really excited about this. Like I have always been really fascinated by women in the wine space. I think it's just because growing up, I've been surrounded by so much wine. And in Italy, it's customary for the daughters to take over the vineyards when their fathers pass away. So I always found that to be so interesting that women are kind of like at the forefront of so much wine in Italy. That always was something I was really drawn to because obviously um, with American wine industry, it's so different. And just growing up around it and being so fascinated by wine, I always love to meet a woman who knows so much about it and is passionate about it. Oh, I love that you have that background knowledge. It's fascinating to see what's going on internationally in this space, because as you mentioned, it is quite different. And there are very few of us here in the United States with yep. wine brands and even wineries. So it's, yep. I'm proud to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. So I like to let my guests kind of tell my audience about themselves from their own point of view, because I think I can only know so much about you from the research I've done. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. I'm Dana Spalding. I grew up on the East Coast, grew up outside of Philly. I went to school in New York. Um, I actually went to Fordham University and studied both finance and um, dance. I was in their business school as well as their performing arts school. So went down both paths until I decided to keep dance as my hobby and finance is my profession and was in finance for almost a decade and really enjoyed it actually. Um, but my job was managing well for very successful entrepreneurs. And most recently that was in food and beverage. I was in private wealth management within the private bank at JP Morgan and was so, I felt fortunate to be in that space where my job was to get to know literally all day, every day, inspiring entrepreneurs. And it's actually where I met my husband as well. He was also working within the private bank and we were just so regularly that couple throwing out crazy entrepreneurial ideas. We knew we wanted to start something. My dad also happens to be an entrepreneur. And so that was something I always wanted to do. Just didn't know what it was until my husband, as I'm sure you saw, um, asked me one evening if I was going to waste another bottle of wine. And I share with folks all the time that I was so frustrated and at the same time, recognized that he was right, that I just wanted to enjoy one great glass of wine, but I would likely waste it because he's a whiskey or beer drinker. And I'd have that one glass and find myself throwing away a portion of the wine bottle that spoiled. And so, you know, I personally started shopping in the single serve wine aisle in about 2016. And I very quickly recognized that the category is just low quality wines, low quality packaging. For me, those cans and the bags and the boxes just did not feel like a luxury. And so that was my initial spark. And then I dug even deeper and recognized there was such a focus or rather lack of focus on clean, natural and organic ingredients, all of which I was looking for in the wine. And so all of that together really led me to start this brand to be the premium and organic single serve wine brand. That's amazing. I'm obsessed with the story. And I love how such amazing ideas come out of such little trifles, like a conversation that you had with your husband and like a mm -hmm. aggravation that you had with wasting wine because you weren't drinking at all, but you still wanted a glass. Um, before we dive into all the wine stuff, because I have so many questions for you, I ask all my guests the same icebreaker question because I think it's interesting and I think it allows us to see each other on a very human level. And it's a question that not a lot of people get asked. So the question is, what is your fatal flaw? And this can be something about yourself that you have resided, like resigned to the fact that you don't want to change, like whether it's that you have a crazy sweet tooth or you have some guilty pleasure or that you love canceling plans, which is like low key mine. But what is your fatal flaw? And have you decided that that will just be forever. Okay. I will say that's a low key one of mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I love that question so much. So I, I was thinking about this in advance and I feel like we could all like touch on a variety of low key flaws that we all have. But one that I will say that I think is hilarious that I run a wine company. I absolutely almost always wear white and I love it so much. And I insist on wearing it even when I'm pouring red wine. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing white and light bright colors. Like you'll see like our aesthetic for our brand is like very much aligned with my personal style of like whites, tans, neutral creams, which I love. But then I also am a spiller and yep. <laughs> like have red wine in my hand a lot. And I talk with my hands because I'm Italian. And so like all of that together is probably not the smartest thing, but I love that you were like, what's your fatal flaw in the prep questions? Yeah. But like something that you probably aren't going to change. This is something I'm 
in no way going to change. Maybe try to spill less. Um, but I'm a spiller who likes to wear white and I just like, I just own it. You know, <laughs> you know w- wine spillage in my house, it was so common growing up that I'm almost like unfazed by it. Like I know it stains, but I also know how to get it out at this point. <laughs> and it, got, it, it was spilled on so much and so many wine glasses have been broken throughout my life that at this point it's like water under the bridge. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's all good. That's exactly it's, it's all good. So I want to talk a little bit about single serve wine. I really like this concept. I never have really thought about it. Like obviously there are the canned wines of the world and sort of like those beverages that are maybe more like um less like a wine and more like a seltzer or something of that nature. Have you seen through Wander and Ivy the need that you originally saw? Do you feel like it's been filled? And and like kind of like what has the response been to this? Like, did you see a lot of people who were having the same problem as you, where like your partner doesn't drink wine and he likes whiskey, and so on a regular basis, if he was having a drink, you were wasting three fourths of a bottle after having one or two glasses. Did you have you seen that need be filled since you know launching your company? Yes. What's been so exciting is to see how my initial like personal problem, that gap was filled and more, honestly, especially in a pandemic and post-pandemic world, which none of us could have predicted. There are so many other ways. So that's what I honestly is most exciting is that people like me, which honestly, I will tell you, like in a startup, one of the hardest things I think early on, and we're an investor-backed company, so we certainly had capital, but not a, not, you know, a multi-billion dollar public company type of capital to put behind, you know, the six figure market research to really dig into what this market looks like. So we certainly did our research, but it was limited. And we did as much of the kind of consumer group, the focus groups, market focus groups as we could, but it was hard. It was limited early days. And so a lot of it was a hypothesis that, there are a lot of other people like me out there that want to live a healthy lifestyle, but want to indulge. And I also felt as though the organic food market forecasted 20 years ahead, what the wine market is now focused more on, especially more than I even saw seven years ago, was just that people want and really care about what's in their food. They want clean, natural, organic ingredients. And it's been so exciting to see how that's shifted in consumers getting honestly just more aware of what's in their wine that they're consuming and what's going in their body. And a lot of that, which I learned when I was digging in and kind of building out our business model, was that for the most part, consumers have been unaware because something that, like you said, you just don't think about is there's there's just no actual regulatory requirements to put ingredient lists on wine. Yeah. And so most consumers, I think, understandably so, think that there's just grapes in there, but there are a tremendous amount of additives in there that I've learned. And I think folks have learned more and more, especially in the United States, and started caring more about that. So it's been really cool to be able to offer this clean, natural, organic product that people are caring more about in a very personalized way, which I wanted. And now I can say, you know, after, you know, we're six years in now seeing that there's a tremendous amount of consumer demand for it. And in places like hotels, more than ever, which honestly wasn't initially the reason I was looking for it. So it wasn't like my personal problem that I was solving. But I found that that's an example of like above and beyond where 
they're looking to innovate in room and get something that feels what the consumer is going to crave when they walk in room. So it's been really, really exciting to see the demand there. It's so funny that you say that about the organic wine because I tried an organic wine recently because people were saying like it gives you less of a hangover and it really is so crazy. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's just so crazy how different you feel when you drink that organic wine. Like you could have a bottle of it and not be hungover. Yeah. You know, I'm always mindful because obviously alcohol impacts everybody's body differently, but I think it's so clear that the less additives and crap that you have dumped into something, the better you're going to feel. So literally if it's just clean, natural, organic grapes, the way the, you know, um, vineyard intended it to be the way the winemaker intended it to be like, that is going to make you feel better the next day. And if you can do it in a portion that's perfect for you, then the better, you know? And so, yeah, the clean ingredients for me make such a difference and it's all the different additives. Ours also, in addition to being certified organic, have zero added sugar. And certainly if there's dumped sugar, pesticides, herbicides, like all of that mixed in with the alcohol will not make you feel well the next day. (laughs) No, absolutely not. So I'm curious, like, can you describe to us, like, what is organic wine? Because I think a lot of people don't even know, like, they'll just be like, oh, it's organic wine. And it's like, what is that? Like, can you explain it to us? Like how organic wine would be different from a regular bottle? Of course. Yeah. So a couple of things. First, it's, there's actually a regulatory requirement to putting that label on a bottle unlike some other words like clean which I use sometimes like you've already heard me say you know I think just in our language we often use words but they don't have regulatory requirements behind it while organic has a very strong requirement like multiple tiers of requirements there so there's two different things there's organic wine and then there's wine made with organic grapes there's a slight difference between the two, both of which mean that all the grapes used in the winemaking process have no pesticides, herbicides dumped on them, just like the organic food that we buy at Whole Foods. It's that same idea. They're not dumped with pesticides. And interestingly, grapes are of the dirty dozen, meaning, you know, the 12, if you're not familiar with it, the 12 um, fruits and vegetables that have the most pesticides dumped on them. So it is very important that we try to avoid those for many health reasons. And so that's the first piece. The slight difference between organic wine and wine made with organic grapes, which Wander and Ivy is wine made with organic grapes, is that there's a small level of sulfites added to wine made with organic grapes. Organic wine has zero added sulfites. And what sulfites are are preservatives. And so you'll hear that often of when they're you know, mass produced wines are dumped with sulfites that plus sugar plus all of the other crap and additives that are in there will all lead to that negative feeling you were mentioning. But for, for us, we add a very minor amount, particularly for our international wines, we are global. So all of our wines are sourced from somewhere different around the world. So really, we just add the smallest level of preservatives to keep it shelf stable. Um, but for some folks that are truly allergic to sulfites, they certainly should look for that, as you mentioned, organic wine, whereas Wander and Ivy just has that small amount of sulfites. But again, both of them absolutely have to be certified by the USDA and that there's no use of pesticides, herbicides, or any other type of additive used on the grapes in the grape growing process. 
Amazing. So you mentioned that you have international wines, you have grapes from different places. I read there are Spanish, French, some from California. What was the process like of choosing those places and those grapes? Because I know like, I think a bottle, a glass of wine, it really tells a story. It's something that really like when you're tasting wine, it's really unlike any other kind of beverage that you taste so many notes and it can really tell like a full-fledged story. So it's important when you're like thinking about where you're getting these grapes from, like what kind of story you want to tell, what's important to you, what notes you want to come out. So what was the process like of choosing those three places to kind of, to get these grapes from? Yeah. So we have a pretty extensive selection process. Um, We have in the past source from Italy, Spain, France, California, New Zealand, and we build out our universe of potential suppliers. And for us, our bottle is so unique. It's a patented glass bottle that's unlike anything out there. And at first, you actually don't necessarily from a distance know that it's wine. And so as folks got closer, especially when it's on the shelf, because we have both online and in-store sales, in-store, I wanted folks, as they started to come across our brand, to recognize the grape varietal and the region that was important to me and something that they felt comfortable with because the packaging is so exploratory and different from what exists. And so... I really was focused with my team on identifying those strong, highly demanded grape varietals around the world from the most renowned region and partnering with families in those regions that really had the high quality wine that I was looking for versus what I felt like I was finding, which was the lower quality wines in the other alternative packages. And so it was a long process of building out that universe, tasting with our team and really coming to the final selection, but I'll tell you, that's where we then, you know, I and my team had our ideas of what we wanted it to be, but that's when we put it out to consumer focus groups, market focus groups, industry experts to understand, you know, does this hit the mark from price? Is it varietally correct? Is it something that we really feel hits the mark? So it's a pretty extensive process that has gotten more and more extensive as we've grown. But now what's so exciting is I really do feel as though we've hit on those top grape varietals from the most renowned regions of the world. And now it's just expanding from here because we've gotten such great feedback from our DT or direct to consumer and our wholesale business that now it's just expanding that process to the other kind of world renowned regions with the grape varietals that we don't yet have in our lineup. You mentioned your team. Is your team mostly female? How did you put that team together? What were you looking for? I know that it's a female run, female CEO business, but I'm curious, like, is the rest of your team heavily women as well? It's pretty diverse, which I'm pretty proud of. Both our board and our team are diverse. We're still a lean, mean team um, in that we're not so large yet, but we are diverse in that we have folks from across the country. We sit, you know, based on where our sales are across the country and we have both men, women from all different backgrounds, types, and, um, same for our board. So yeah, I really feel pretty strongly about having a diverse set of skill sets and experiences come to the table. I think that's the only way you can have innovation. So of course I'm super proud as a female, to be representing diversity within, especially the alcohol category, but just as as a team, super proud of the other male and female folks on our team. So pretty diverse. I love it. If, if you guys don't know, listening, the wine industry in America specifically, like many other industries is heavily dominated male, but especially in terms of like sommeliers and just people in wine in general, they tend to be men and it's incredibly sad when you hear about the stories from American female psalms and what 
kind of challenges they faced in the space and and just how awful it is. I wrote a I wrote a piece about it when I was in grad school because I was so kind of heartbroken about all of the turmoil that women and female psalms were facing on a on a day-to-day basis in the space. So, how has it been breaking into the American wine space and the American alcohol space as a woman because I just know that it it is so different here than it is in Europe and and the stories that you hear are just really disheartening. Yeah, I mean, I love you come with so much knowledge in the space and what it, what it looks like today. And it's really wild how <laughs> limited the representation is right now. Um, you know, it's in some ways, you know, over the last couple of years, more light has been shed on the need for diversity. So I do think to any extent that we can, we highlight that we're female founded. And I do think there are many distributors and retailers across the country that want to build out diversity, but honestly, not necessarily sure how to do it. Um, But there is still largely rooms full of men making decisions on all new product launches, particularly from a distributor and, you know, retail buyer standpoint, which is challenging in that, you know, our product, while I, I absolutely love that men drink our product, at the end of the day, our core demographic has always been and probably will always be female millennials. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting pitching a brand to, especially years ago when we were starting to rooms full of older white males that don't immediately understand the reason for this brand. Whereas you pitch it to another, even senior woman entirely gets it, um, but particularly a younger woman loves it is like it goes from not understanding the brand to obsessed and not under not understanding why it's not already on the shelf and so there are vastly different responses at times to our brand and and that has just led at times to you know longer sales cycles um and breaking down the door is a lot harder so it's, it's just still a challenge and I just fight as, you know, daily to build the data around our story and why it needs to be. But I would say that the biggest challenge is from the wholesale side of the business, whereas direct to consumer, we're going right to our consumer. You know, as we figured out the, the digital marketing side, which is a huge beast in and of itself. And, and that's fantastic. We can get to our consumer, that end female, that is literally giving reviews that they're obsessed with our product and that is soaring and it's a lot quicker to turn on. Whereas it's just a lot longer of a sales cycle and a lot more challenging of a process getting a distributor to sign on, which in the three tier system, for those of you who don't know, is a requirement in the United States to sell to a distributor so that we can be on the shelf in a store near you. So it's just, a longer sales cycle. Um, but hopefully, you know, it's interesting. I, you would love this. You know, my, our distributor, one of them for International Women's Month connected the female founders and senior leadership of the female owned brands that they were, you know, highlighting during the month. And so we all kind of took it upon ourselves to say, great, we were all connected and let's all get together. So I will say we have this small group of female founders in these fast growing alcohol brands And there are a few of us and there are not a lot of us, Um, but it's been really, really wonderful to build a community within ourselves and recognize, honestly, which I think, I don't know, it feels like 
this wouldn't necessarily happen in a uh, with a group of males, but the females in this group are like, hey, we are all direct competitors, but at the end of the day, our slice is so small that we all can understand and we all can benefit to expanding the diversity within the category. So let's go. So we're thinking through now it's early stages of how we support each other and just do everything we can as the leaders in the space to just build it out more, which is awesome. I think that's amazing. And it's, it's so interesting to me, especially because like what you were saying about just like the sales pitch to men versus women. So interesting to me how there you hear like female CEO and it's like, no, you're just a CEO. Like there's really no difference. And it's so ridiculous to me. I read a statistic recently that Americans are more likely to have a CEO named David than they are to have a female CEO. And that was just like, so insane to me. It just like really blew my mind. And like people like you who are stepping up to the plate and having such a positive and productive attitude about the challenges that you are naturally going to endure is so helpful because it just shows other people that they can do the same. Yeah. Thank you. I I couldn't agree more. It's, it's really, it's really special. So how do you sort of recommend and what is your advice to women who kind of are seeing opportunities and, and they have ideas and they want to jumpstart something or they want to create something and they want to pursue their ideas full fledged. What, what is your best advice being someone who has done, done so successfully? You know, I got a piece of advice early on. I was fortunate, as I mentioned, to have this network of entrepreneurs. And so I kind of softly got advice from my network early on when I was, it was really early days. Like, here's my idea. What do you think? And I initially phrased it as, you know, I'm going to start this on the side and, and then we'll see. And like, do you think it's a good idea? And that was kind of how I positioned it, like super casually. And one very successful entrepreneur that has exited since I am so appreciative of him saying this. He said, if you don't do this now, someone else will, and they're going to do it better. This is a great idea, but you need to do it now. Stop just talking about it. And if you believe in it, run full force with confidence. And I will say that really, I've shared with him since how impactful that was. And it was actually a male who said that to me. And I just, and it was so impactful. Um, And it helped push me over. You know, I was leaving a very, very cushy. And I think that's a big challenge as well as people have these ideas. Uh, they call them golden handcuffs for a reason. And that is absolutely something that I can uh, relate to that. It was a very cushy, comfortable job that I was in that I worked hard in over, you know, almost a decade to be in that position. And so leaving it is terrifying, Mm -hmm. but if you really believe in what you're doing, then you got to do it because it's true. If it's a great idea, someone else will do it. And that, that motivated me. And and then, you know, for us, we're an investor backed company. And so I knew that in doing it, I also had to till still to this day, you know, do it with confidence that you have to believe wholeheartedly. That doesn't mean that you like can't have your, you know, ups and downs, but you have to, I think at the end of the day, believe in it, be excited about it, like have it get you up out of bed. And if you do, then just like run full force. There's not a ton you can lose, especially like we're all smart, capable women. You can figure out something else to do if it doesn't work, but if you believe in it, just go for it. That's really, really good advice. And, and it's like, people are like, well, how do I start? And what do I do? It's like, you just have to begin. And once you begin, 
it's going to, it's going to start happening all around you. Like you just have to take the leap. And sometimes that's the hardest part. Oh yeah. I agree. So you're a mom in addition to being a CEO and I feel like there's this pressure and it's something that I'm like grappling with on a day-to-day basis. I'm 24 and like, I don't want to be a mom in like the near future, but like, I think about like, it's kind of around the corner. Like I'm closer to being 30 than I am 15. And I think a lot about like how I would want to have kids when I'm like in my early thirties, but also my career is really important to me and is like my number one priority. So I kind of like, I struggle a lot with like, will I be able to do both and kind of like the stigmas and I feel like it's something that is, it weighs on me. So I would love to kind of hear about your perspective of doing it all and managing it all and, and how you kind of navigate the, the stigma that's thrown on women who, who want, who want their career to be the center of their lives and are really passionate about it. And also our moms. That's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a really good one. Um, I love talking about this. Being a mom is the most joyful thing of my life. And at the same time, I am so proud and obsessed with my business. And so I will say it is very, very challenging, but I'm super proud of some of the things that I've done over the last, my, my kids are young still, they're only three and one. So over the last couple of years, I'm super proud of what I've done to really manage it for me and everybody is different. So I think, you know, that like quote of balance is a different look for everybody. But for me, what that has meant is really time blocking and being like religious with it. And what that means is like, literally on my calendar, I have family time and my team sees it and not being afraid of that in a way that like you said, like coming from a more corporate you know, Fortune 500 finance company, I'm not sure if I would have put like family big and bold on my calendar, you know, it's just something that I think there's a lot of like nervousness around letting people know that's what you're going to spend your time on or, or leave early for. But I have every morning and every evening certain times that I absolutely am dedicated to family. And I try extremely hard to not have them overlap. Because for me, if I do that, I'm not doing a good job at anything. Like I'm not focused entirely on either one of those. And I don't feel, um, I just don't feel my best self. And so I really try to be religious, like five to 7 PM. I pick up my kids. We do dinner, bath, bed every single night, unless I'm traveling for business. And my team knows that unless it's like absolutely a like critical, don't touch base with me. And that, you know, I then make the decision from seven to to 9pm to work as hard as I can and catch up and then go to bed and have a good bedtime routine and stay healthy that way. And so for me, to be healthy, and to, you know, have longevity in mind, I have to create healthy balances. And that's a really, really important one for me. And also just kind of paving, I'm fortunate in that as a leader, I've really tried to pave the way for, you know, I happen to be the first one on my team that had children, but then others have followed. And I try really, I tried really hard, especially with my second, I learned a lot with my first, I honestly didn't really take a maternity leave for my first. And that was a big that was a really big mistake. And I learned a lot from it about myself, but we didn't necessarily have all of the team support that I, I felt like I could lean on. Regardless, 
in my second one, I had said, we're going to do this a bit differently and I'm going to build a formal maternity leave. And I'm going to let our team know that when it's their term, if, and when they decide to have children, they can build a custom maternity leave that works for them. And so I took a more formal leave for my second one phased in, in a way that felt appropriate for me. And then I am so proud to say that I breastfed for nine months and it was on my calendar, like public for my whole breastfeeding. I love it. And that's not, that's like, I mean, I cannot even fathom doing that in the finance world. And so showing my team and like, again, being religious about it. And I would sit down and I still think about this, you know, yesterday being Mother's Day, I like still think about this of like that time with him, not only with my second, not only made me more connected, feel so, so connected to my baby. It made me a better CEO. I would take a step back from being dug in the weeds of something or like stressed. I would take a step back, sit and do this most beautiful thing with the like love of my life, breastfeed, have a better mindset and come back so clear headed and so ready to take on. And that for me taught me that I need to be a leader for my team to show them whatever works for you, build it out, block it off and be so strict with it in your day to day. There's like that big picture strategic view, but then also like, all right, how are we going to do this day to day? And let's, let's, let's stick to it. So those were my big tips for how to maintain balance. It works differently for everybody, but I think there's a way to do it. It feels scary. And at times like a little nerve wracking, like, am I not working hard enough? Am I not setting an example? But I am healthy and we're growing triple digits every year. And I've had two babies in the last four years, you know, so there's there's something going well here, you know, it's like women can literally do everything. It's so empowering. And I think it's just like so crazy the amount of mom shaming that goes on, whether it's like and obviously I'm not a mom, but like I witness it from like TikTok and and Instagram and social media, just like watching people shame other women, whether it's like you aren't staying home or like you are staying home. And it's like my mom stayed home and like she, it was the hardest fucking job in the world. And like, that was something that she chose to do. And like, I would never shame a mom that chooses to stay home. Just like I would never shame a mom who chooses to work or has to work. It's like every mom is different and, and they're all figuring it out and just trying to do the best by their children. And I just think your story is really, really inspiring to me because it just shows me that if I want to to have my career be a priority and and make my brand and business the best it can be and also be a loving attentive caring mom and member of my own family I can do both yeah yeah no I mean one of my favorite things that one of my very early investors asked me and it like (laughs) it's so simple but he asked and said to me like how are you doing really how are you doing because how you're doing is going to impact how my investment does. Like you personally, are you healthy? Are you happy? And you have to figure out how to build that. And that was like, it honestly, like that hearing that a person cared about me personally versus just like the business bottom line numbers was something that took, like I paused and it really was like this eye opening, like this is something that will make me better. Not only as a person and more healthy as a person, but also as a CEO. And I will be a better leader if I do this. And, and it's just something that I think we all have to, like you said, figure out on our own. I will say some of the, one other thing that's, that 
I have come to understand about myself is hyper prioritizing. Like I have the most, I have three things in my life that I want to thrive at being a mom, being a wife and being a CEO. And I, and those are my priorities. And if they don't fit in that bucket, then I'm going to have to maybe, you know, understand that they're not going to happen as frequently. For example, like I love the idea of getting together, you know, to have a drink with my girlfriends, but maybe I don't do it as regularly. And that's a compromise that I'm okay with. Maybe it's finding time to schedule in calls with my girlfriends who are my absolute best friends who brighten me up, but understanding that like that going out that maybe existed in my twenties is not a reality of today. If I want to focus and prioritize those other three roles that are so important to me. So I do think there's a matter of like, there's a, there's a real importance to, I think prioritizing for you, what makes you happy and healthy and, and understanding the other things can happen in your life, but they might just look different than they did at another stage. And that's okay. That's, that is beautiful. And so true. I have a question for you, like kind of in the same vein, do you have any women in wine that you've really looked up to or women in business, women in positions of power that have really helped you on this journey that you would say, like have mentored you, whether you know them or not? Oh gosh. Yeah. There's so many people that I look up to. I mean, I will say I have so, so many brands that I admire from afar that are female founded. And I'm so honored to have female founders in my life from my former life in wealth management. And there are many, many people just in the, in, 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 I'm based in Denver and here alone, there are so many that I admire, um, that have built up businesses and have done it in a way that I just have so much admiration for. Um, yeah, there's so many of them in wine in particular. Um, I'm really, really fortunate to have a board member who was the former CIO of treasury wine estates. And she is an incredible, not only incredible board member, but just mentor of mine. And so I will say she's, she's also the other female. We have incredible men on our board too, but she's the other female in addition to myself. And it's wonderful having her take, she's a mom. She's a very strong female who comes with that wine knowledge. And so I think it's really, really important to be thoughtful about building the board in a way that not only they come with knowledge, but also support for you and like truly believe in what you're doing. So that's been huge for us. Um, but yeah, there are other, there's so many other founders that I just admire. Like I said, from afar and I'm lucky enough to call them my friends that I, um, I'm so thankful to have in my life and just building that community around you. I do think is really important. Surrounding yourself with other powerful women, powerful, diverse individuals in CEO positions. It must be just like an integral part of survival and success. Yeah. You know, CEO, they're the CEOs in general are, are quite different. founders in general. They're um, have quite unique, I would say situations, especially uh, if you're a mom. And so I have a dear friend of mine who, um, it just conversations are different. Like that relationship is different. We understand each other on a different level than someone who's not necessarily in our seat. And so, um, and she's in a industry that's entirely different. So I think surrounding yourself, like you said, not necessarily always with people that are in your industry, but just can understand where you're coming from. Because like I said, I, I don't necessarily have time from a social standpoint as I did. So friends understanding what my life looks like right now and understanding like, what I have to give is really important. And then when we have time together, it is so meaningful. 
when I get that time with with people who understand and are in similar seats. So yeah, it's very, very important. I absolutely love that. So my last question for you is, you know, I think sometimes being somebody that has to advocate for herself on a daily basis and have that perspective of, you know, having to advocate for myself and kind of be my own boss. I, I think oftentimes I feel like not that I'm not being taken seriously, but I get sort of like in my head, like, am I not being taken seriously? Am, you know, am I, am I not enough? Am I not, you know, supposed to be in this room? How do you navigate those sorts of feelings if you ever have experienced them? And what recommendations do you have for women who are trying to break into, you know, positions of power or want to, want to advocate for themselves? And, and yeah, just like, what would you, what would you recommend? What would your advice be? Oh gosh, have I had those thoughts? Um, I mean, so often do I have thoughts of like, you know, just questioning whatever it might be. Like you said, am I, do I belong in this room? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Um, I absolutely have that, those questions often. So I think really having a clear sense of self is important, which I really think is, is, goes back to that importance of being healthy and being in a really good place with yourself to be able to take a step back and have that self-confidence and belief in what you're doing. Because sometimes you may be the only person believing in whatever you're saying, but I will also say going back to the importance of having people around you, I will tell you my, well, number one, my husband couldn't be more supportive. He's just like literally the most supportive person in the world. So surrounding yourself with both family and friends, mentors, advisors, the community that believes in you, not necessarily that they're, um, yes, men, because I don't, I don't, I'm not really mean that, but really people who believe in you and will support you will push back on you at times, particularly my board. But at the end of the day, entirely trust your decision. I will tell you that has been huge for me. It's taken time because it, my board was a board of one, which was me to start, but now we're a board of five. So having those people when I'm in doubt or just to turn to and say, like, here's what I'm thinking strategically. How does this look to you to get that? Then I can then go in front of whether it's the sales team or a distributor and have that confidence. So really putting smart people around you that can support you in it, I think is enormous. But I think the most important thing is what I said initially of having that clear sense of self that you got this, that you can do this. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but you got this and that you have oftentimes little to lose of just going for it. And I, that would be my biggest piece of advice. And for me, like taking the time, not only, you know, no longer breastfeeding, but taking the time to do things like the mindfulness things of yoga, meditation, just making sure I go on that walk or do that exercise so that I'm a healthy person mentally and physically so that when I'm pushed or I have those feelings of doubt, I can come back to my place of strength and confidence to really just be like, I mean, I literally oftentimes have to be like, you got this out loud to myself (laughs) and it works and it's important. So that would be my That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell us where we can find you, where we can buy wine. If anybody has more questions, where they can reach you, all the good stuff. 
Yeah, thank you so much. So on Instagram, we're at Wander and Ivy, spelled out. Um, I'm Dana at WanderandIvy.com. And you can just go to WanderandIvy.com and see where we ship direct to your door, as well as you can find us in store. We ship direct to 38 states, and we're on the shelf in 14 states and growing. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I hope everybody found this as interesting and just fulfilling as I did. You're the best. And I look forward to trying the wine. Thank you. We can't wait to get you some. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Bye.